You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. If you have a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 6 together. Luke chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 39 and verse 40. Um, If you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a series that we've entitled The Way, a series we're learning together what it means as disciples to practice the way of Jesus. And I want to get some uh, group participation here. Um, What we've discovered so far is to be a disciple of Jesus is to reorient our lives around three goals. And I'm going to put them on the screen for you, I believe. Um, Goal number one, you ready? I want you to say this with me. Goal number one of a disciple is to be with Jesus. Goal number two, to become like Jesus. And goal number three, to do what Jesus did. So um, if you were not here last week, I would encourage you, go listen to the first sermon on what it means to be with Jesus. If you don't get that, uh, this sermon might not make a whole lot of sense. So goal number one, that is the first and foremost goal of a disciple, be with Jesus. Everything starts, and, 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 and I mean, that is like the foundational uh, truth that we need to engage in as disciples. And so again, can't really go any further if we don't first have goal number one. But today we are going to talk about goal number two, which is to become like Jesus. And so um, if you're here, let me just say this. If you're a guest, first time with us, uh, welcome. We're so glad that, that you chose to be a part of our gathering this morning. We know you could choose to be pretty much anywhere, and the fact that you're with us, we do not take lightly. And so our goal is that you will go from feeling like a guest to feeling like family. And and one of the ways you can get connected, you can go to our Facebook group and all that kind of stuff for our website. But what we'd encourage you to do is if you didn't get a chance yet to fill out a connect card, come and see me. I'll be at the welcome table uh, after the gathering's over, uh, and you can fill out some information about yourself, which is just a way for us to have a record of your visit and, and know how we can serve you better. So again, Welcome, Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at a whole whopping two verses uh, this morning. Do not confuse, though, only two verses for being a short sermon. So um, this is one of the shortest parables Jesus ever told, and here's what he says. Verse 39, Jesus told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? What's the answer to that? No. Will they not both fall into a pit? Yes. And look at this, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we stop and we just recognize that this word that we just read is your word to us. It's active and it's living and it's here to transform our lives. Each person who's here today, Father, we want to experience in full the life that you have for us. And so we ask that right now that you will take this teaching and through the power of your spirit that you will change us from the inside out for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. Hey, how many UFC fans do we have in here? UFC, raise your hand. You're not going to be condemned. I'm not going to call you out. Okay, several of you like mixed martial arts. Um, You may or may not have known this about me, but I almost became an MMA fighter. Okay? Um, True story. I know you're like, you look more like a lover than a fighter. I know, but... A little over five years ago, what happened is I was in the gym doing what I do. And by do what I do, I mean uh, talking to the people about working out rather than working out. And so uh, I'm in the gym, and this guy walks in who I've not seen since high school. 
And uh, this guy, I, we, though we haven't talked, I knew that he had become a professional MMA fighter. Uh, he actually was living with one of the top UFC fighters uh, in the world at the time. And so we started talking, and of course, mixed martial arts came up. And, and I don't remember how we got on it, but somewhere along the way, he looks at me and he says, you know, Jared, you could become an MMA fighter. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, man, like, you got the perfect frame for a kickboxer. And he's like, so, man, you just like, practice some kickboxing, learn some grappling. Like, you could actually be like me. And I was like, awesome. And so the next thing I know, um, the next morning, I'm meeting him back at the gym, and I'm training to become an MMA fighter. And so, like, I walk in, and he's got this, you know, this bag. It was at Anytime Fitness, and uh, there's this little punching bag in the back. And he's like, all right, first things first, what I want you to do is I want you to just work this bag over. He's like, I want you to kick it. I want you to punch it. You're going to go uh, three two-minute rounds, so just work this thing over. And I was like, okay, no problem. So I start punching. I start kicking. Well, like 30 seconds in, I'm winded. I feel like I'm going to puke. And I'm pretty sure I broke at least one, if not both of my shins. And so like, I'm like, man, I can't go any further. He's like, keep going, keep going. He's pushing me. He's pushing me. So I'm doing my thing. By the end of it, I'm like rocky, you know, like just barely throwing my, my hands in there. Finally, I finished that. I'm like, okay, whoo, it's over. I didn't die. We're good to go. And then he's like, no, we're not done. Get on your back. And I'm like, What? He's like, get on your back right now on the ground. And I'm like, okay. I mean, this guy's huge, right? And so I get on my back, and this was like a Napoleon Dynamite scene. He gets on top of me. He's like, grab my arm. And I'm like, oh. And he's like, my other arm. No, my other arm. And I'm like, okay, man. And keep in mind, we're in Anytime Fitness, family gym, like kids walking in, all that. People's like, that's kind of odd, mommy. You know, it's like, what's going on back there in the back? And so it's like, you know, like I'm sitting there. I'm supposed to be planting a church, you know. Somehow, like, I'm here on my back, and this guy's on top of me. And then I kid you not, he looks at me and he says, hit me in the face. And I'm like, is this real life? Like, what? And he's like, hit me in the face. And I'm like, I'm not going to hit you. I've never hit anybody. He's like, I'm not going to tell you again, hit me in the face. And I'm like, okay, man, you asked for it. And I'm not kidding. I rear back to punch him. He grabs my arm, rolls over and says, arm bar. And like puts my arm in some sort of funky little twist. And he's like, tap out, tap out. I'm like, okay. And so like I'm tapping and he rolls off and he's like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. Good job. And I'm like, good job, right? Like, this was awful. But, you know, like, I'm afraid of him at this point. And so, like, I go back, and, and this happens for about two or three weeks. And then finally, like, after one session, I mean, I'm limping, I'm bruised, I had been bloodied. I finally look at him, and I'm like, man, I'm done. And he's like, what do you mean you're done? I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't be you, man. I was like, that's great. You got your thing. Like, you can kick people's butt. I can't do that. Like, I, I literally am going to preach for a living, right? That's like no contacts. So it's like, that's what I do. And he looks and he was so discouraged. But I was like, man, I, I just, I appreciate all you've done. But literally, like, that's great. Do your thing. But I cannot. I don't know. No matter how hard I try, I cannot be like you. And so I walked out the gym and I shut the door on my MMA career. Here's why I share all that. My fear is that some of you view your discipleship to Jesus the way I viewed my discipleship to this MMA instructor. In that, maybe when you first started following Jesus, you had grand dreams of, I actually can become like Jesus. Great things are going to happen, right? I'm going to be Christ-like. But because of some bumps and some bruises, because you've had some hardships and some setbacks, because you've had to make some sacrifices, you've begun to be, believe the lie that no matter how hard you try, you really cannot be like Jesus. Sure, maybe those varsity Christians can be, but me, there's no way that I could be like Christ. Some of you believe that. You see, the problem is, according to our text today, Jesus says the exact opposite. If you notice, he says in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone. 
Everyone, when he is fully trained, will be what? Like his teacher. We talked about in the very first sermon of the series how when Jesus walked on the scene, yes, he was God in the flesh, but he was considered a teacher. He was considered the great rabbi. And here he's speaking of the Pharisees, of course, but also of himself, saying, when a disciple is fully trained, he can become like me. Jesus says, this is the whole point of your discipleship. The point of your discipleship is not just to learn from the teacher. The goal of being a disciple is to be like the teacher, to be transformed into the image of the one who is discipling you. And so here's what that means. If you are here today and you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, right, your goal should be to be like Jesus. Problem is, as we look at the life of Christ and we look at our own lives, it doesn't always match up. The problem is if If this is true that we're to be like Jesus, if we can be honest today, a lot of us in here have a lot of change that needs to take place. Am I right? Right? I'm not talking about like just like a little tweak here, but I mean like we need a complete transformation. The kind that that Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where he says this, And we all... With an unveiled face. And he's speaking here of disciples who now because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can, we can have access into the presence of God. We can have a relationship with him. We all as disciples with unveiled face. He said, beholding the glory of the Lord, right? The glory of Jesus. And what's he say next? Are being transformed. Hang on to that word. Are being transformed into the same image. The same image of who? The same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is in the Spirit. Now, the Greek word for transformed here is the word metamorpho. Okay? And it's actually where we get our English word from, metamorphosis. Which means what? When you, uh, it means basically a caterpillar morphing over into a butterfly. In fact, if you look up the word metamorphosis in the dictionary, here's the exact definition of it. It is a profound change in form from one stage to the next in the life history of an organism, as from a caterpillar to the pupa, from the pupa to the adult butterfly. That is what we call transformation. It looked like a caterpillar, right? It crawled like a caterpillar, but eventually it's transformed. It's a whole new identity, and it looks like a butterfly. It acts like a butterfly, right? That's the transformation that Jesus is after in the life of a disciple. Now, the question I want to ask you is, as you have that image in your mind of a caterpillar changing to a butterfly, Do you really believe that kind of transformation is possible in your life on a spiritual level? Now, before you just like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Think about it for a second. Do you really think this kind of radical from the ground up, from the inside out transformation is possible? And if so, how? I know when I first started following Jesus, I carried a lot of baggage into my relationship with him. Primarily in, in an area of sexual immorality. And here's what I thought. I honestly thought when I started following Jesus 12 years ago that when I gave my life to Christ, all of that would just go away. Well, you know what began to happen? I started following Jesus, but I still struggled with lust. I still struggled with pornography. I still struggled at times in in finding myself in relationships that were inappropriate with other women. And if you go back and you read my journals from them, which I've let Luke read them, I mean, I'm just beating myself up every single day. Like, I'm crucifying myself rather than looking to the crucified Savior. I'm just like, I literally, there were times in my journals where I'd say, God, why don't you just kill me in my sleep because I'm useless? I mean, I literally hated myself because I believe no matter what I did, I could not change. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. 
Maybe it's not because of lust, but maybe it's because of bitterness or anxiety or depression or whatever it may be. There are things in your lives where you honestly begin to believe the lie. This is an area of my life where I will never really change. I will never really look like Jesus. Can we really change? If so, how? That's the question I want to answer for you this morning. And as I told you a couple of weeks ago, I have been looking forward to this series for a, about a year now because over the last year specifically... I've been on this journey in my own life of really trying to answer that question. And over the last year, I mean, I've had this razor-sharp focus. Of, of, I mean, I've tried to read every book that I can, get my hand on every article that I can, listen to every sermon that I can. I'm talking about from, like, from, from Catholic to Pentecostal to Baptist, people all over the map around this idea of can we really change. And over the last year, as I've worked through this with Adam and with Luke and some of you others, I've learned a lot and I've unlearned a lot. Right? But everything that I've been diving into and learning, what I want to do now is I just want to unpack it for you in about 30 minutes or less. I want to summarize for you what I believe, according to as we see in Scripture, ways that we really can be transformed into the image of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so let me just tell you, the rest of the sermon is going to feel a little bit more like a lecture than a sermon, okay? And so if you notice, you got a handout when you came in. If you didn't get a handout, don't, don't freak out. I'm going to put all of it on the screen, but I would encourage you, if you don't have a handout, go to the welcome table before you leave. If we have any extra, uh, grab one of those and take them home with you, okay? And so pull out that handout, and um, here's what I want to focus on first. Go down to where you see the definition for spiritual formation. Here's the way that we define spiritual formation. It is the process by which God forms Christ's character in believers by the power of the Spirit in the context of community and through the practice of the spiritual disciplines. This process involves the transformation of the whole person in desires, thoughts, behaviors, and styles of relating to God and others. What I want you to consider this morning is the reality that, listen, no matter who you are or where you come from today, you are being formed. You are being shaped into someone or something, whether you think you are or not. We are all today being formed every second of every minute of every day. So the question is not who or what am I becoming, right? Or I'm sorry, the question is not am I or am I not being formed, but Who or what am I being formed by? And as a result, then the question is, who or what am I becoming? Okay, that's the question. Who or what today am I becoming? And what I want you to see on your little handout, if you look at those two little graphics, the first one you'll see on there is what we call unintentional spiritual formation. And there it is on the screen. And I want to focus on this for a second. Here's what I want to show you through this graphic is... No matter if you wake up in the morning with zero intention on being formed or being shaped, you are going to be formed. You are going to be shaped by what's going on around you, whether you want to be or not. Okay? And here's what I mean by that. First off, if you look up here where it says the stories we believe, we all in here believe a story about why we are here and what our purpose is. We all buy into a story that helps us make sense of the beauty and the tragedy and the chaos and just the stuff that makes sense of this life here on planet Earth. And whatever story you believe, it will shape your life. For example, I could give a million examples, but here's just one. If you're in here this morning and you don't believe uh, in God, which, by the way, if that's you, welcome. This is a place where you can belong before you believe, okay? But if that's you, if you're like, I don't believe there's a God, 
Hey, I believe there's just a big bang. We're all here by coincidence and, and nothing's spiritual. Everything's physical. Do you think that's going to change the way you view sexuality as opposed to a person who believes sex is created by God and that it's sacred and it's spiritual? Absolutely, it's going to create it. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to change how you view sexuality. It's going to change how you view relationships. I mean, I could go on and on and on with examples of whatever stories we believe shape how we live, right? And we're all believing stories. Secondly, if you look in here, the habits that you live into, this is the idea that what you do, you eventually become, right? We all have habits that we're engaged in on a daily basis. And every time we do something, what you need to understand is that thing is doing something to you in the fact that it's shaping your longings and your affections, which in return shape your life. For example, when I first met Megan, who is now my wife, I was in a little band called the Williford Project, okay? And there I am for proof. That's me standing on the drum kit, singing my heart out, probably about a girl that broke my heart, right? And, um, and when I was in a band, right, here's what me and my wife, right? You can rem- Thank you, Ryan. You can take it off screen. Um, <laughs> my wife and I loved the kind of music that I played in the band, screamo music, okay? So I'm talking about like Blindside, Under Oath. Anybody in here remember those bands? Yeah, New Found Glory. Okay, yeah, a couple of you guys were the kind of punk bands, right? We loved that stuff. It's all we ever listened to. But eventually, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and I was introduced to a new genre of music. We'll call it indie pop, okay? Um, when I first heard indie pop, I thought it was weak sauce, man. I was like, that's like bubblegum, 80s pop. That's awful, right? But all of my friends listened to indie pop. And so guess what I had to listen to when I was hanging out with my friends? Indie pop, right? And what happened? Over time, something amazing happened. I went from hating this stuff to thinking, eh, it's, it's not that bad, to eventually thinking, yeah, this is actually pretty good, to eventually looking for other indie pop bands that I can add to my arsenal and listen to. And eventually, like, we started changing the concerts rather than going to Screamo concerts. Me and my wife would go to concerts of bands that were in indie pop. And now, in fact, if you get in my car, chances are you're not going to hear Hands Down by Dashboard Confessional. You're going to hear something by Local Natives or St. Lucia or one of those bands in that genre. What happened? Well, over time, as listening to this music became a habit, as I engaged in this regularly over and over and over again, my affections began to change. Right, My heart began to turn to where I went from loving one genre of music to another. And the whole point of me saying that is this. Our habits shape us. What we do on a regular basis, whether it's listening to a certain type of music, whether it's working out, whether it's drinking coffee, watching TV. I mean, the list goes on and on. Every time you do something, that something is doing something to you. It shapes your life for better or for worse. Okay, So again, our habits are forming us. Third, you see on here, our relationships. I remember my dad used to say to me all the time growing up, Jared, birds of a feather flock together. Anybody else ever hear that? Right? And my dad would say, you show me the people you're running with, and I'll show you either the man you are or the man you will become. I remember thinking, you're crazy, old man, right? Like, like not me. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm unique. I'm my own voice. But you know what? He was right. The more I hung out with my friends, the more I became like my friends. The more that's the music I listened to, I talked like them. We did all the same type things together, right? Our relationships form us. And not just when we're in high school or in elementary school, right? It forms us even now. The people you run around with have a profound impact on shaping who you are and how you live. Finally, what you see in this little graphic is that all happens in the context of an environment. We don't think about this a lot, but Northeast Arkansas actually has its own unique culture. You ever thought about that? Like if you grew up in Portland, Oregon, as opposed to Paragould, Arkansas, 
you're going to view the world differently. You will. I mean, if you grow up in Portland, the chances are, rather than listening to Fox Radio and Leonard Skinner's, you're going to listen to Arcade Fire and Modest Mouths, right? Or bands like that. Rather than more than likely driving a pickup truck, you're going to drive a Volkswagen Jetta or whatever hipsters drive, right? Rather than more than likely growing up in a Republican home and conservative households, you're going to grow up in a Democratic home. Growing up in Portland is going to shape you. Growing up in Paragould, Arkansas, or Jonesboro, it's going to shape you. The environment that we live in is, whether you know it or not, getting on you and forming who you are. Now, the question is, how do we counter that? How do we go from unintentionally being shaped by the world around us to look more like the world to intentionally being shaped more and more into the image of Jesus? That's the question. Okay, and that's where that second graphic comes up. Before you look at it, let me kind of beat up on two myths real quick around this idea of how we change. Okay, myth number one, information equals transformation. This is the myth that if you just know the right things about God, you will eventually become like God. It's the myth that if you can just listen to one more sermon or download one more podcast or read one more book, then if you get just the right information somewhere, you will become like Christ. I wish it was that easy. But we know it's just not. I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday. My father-in-law sent me a video of my my brother-in-law, Megan's youngest brother, playing baseball. He plays college baseball. And he was sending me a video of something he did. And I was thinking back to whenever I actually used to go with Megan and watch him play high school ball. And here's what's interesting. When he was pitching a game in high school, if he started throwing a lot of balls, my father-in-law from the stands would say, Come on, Mo, throw strikes. Throw strikes, Mo. I remember sitting there thinking, like, do you really think that's going to get him throwing strikes? As if my brother-in-law is up on the mound all of a sudden being like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Then all of a sudden he hears, throw strikes, Mo. And like, of course, throw strikes. I forgot. All right? And then all of a sudden he gets the right information and it's like, pew, like he doesn't do that. Why? Because information in itself does not equal transformation. Wouldn't that be nice if you're like worrying and someone's just like, hey, bro, don't worry. Be happy. And you're like, of course, don't worry. Thank you. I got so much peace now. It'd be awesome, wouldn't it? But it's just not the way life works. Information does not equal transformation. Application of the right information equals transformation. Okay, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Second myth I want to uh, kind of expose is this idea that grace is opposed to effort. It's this idea that when I become a Christian, right, because, man, it's all grace, right, I should just be able to sit back, do whatever I want, enjoy life, and as I'm just kind of doing my own thing, eventually God, because he's sovereign, because he's gracious, he will conform me into the image of Jesus no matter what I do. Maybe some of you, you've grown up in church and you've heard the saying, let go and let God. That's really cute. It's just terrible theology. We talked about last week, guys, when you actually start following Jesus, God has a work to do and you have a work to do. Philippians 2.13, Paul says it is God who works in us. But right before that in Philippians 2.12, he says, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So which one is it? Is it God's work or is it your work when it comes to our being transformed to the image of Jesus? And the answer is yes. It's both. I love what John Mark Comer says. He says, without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. 
In other words, change is a joint effort. God has a role to play, and we have a role to play, which is why, as we said last week, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Major difference. When we start doing all this membership renewal stuff, which you're in the middle of right now, when you hear me calling you to, to some of these things, to practice the stuff which we'll talk about in a second, you might feel a little bit of attention, and you might say, man, this sounds so legalistic to me. Guys, legalism is not about action. Legalism is about an attitude. Legalism is about doing actions with the wrong attitude, doing actions to earn God's favor. We're not telling you to do anything to earn God's love. If you are in Christ, you already are loved. And in order to be transformed more into his image because he loves you, he's going to give you things to do to take responsibility for so that you become the man or woman that he's created you to be. Does that make sense? And if that makes you uncomfortable, think about for those of you that are parents that have children. Like, I love my kids. I would die for my kids, but I also give my kids work to do. But my kids have chores. My kids are told before they go to bed every single night, they have to clean up their room. My kids are told after they eat, they have to take their plate and their cup and their fork and they have to put it into the sink. Do I give them those chores because I'm trying to get them to earn my love? No, I already love them. And I'm giving them the chores because I do love them and I want them to work. I want them to begin to apply some of the stuff so they can grow up and be the man or woman they were created to be. And listen, if they don't do it, Yes, I discipline them, but again, even that is not out of anger, but it's out of love to help correct them and lead them down the path that they need to go. The same is true when it comes to our spiritual formation. We have to get this today. Works are not opposed to grace. Does that make sense? So here's the question. Now as we move into kind of intentional spiritual formation, how do we turn the page? How do we become more like Christ? And I'm going to move through this really fast because we're going to talk about it a lot over the next year. If you actually desire to become like Christ, here's what, and if you look on your sheet or I'll put it on the screen for you, here is what we need to be committed to. In place of just random stories we're believing from the world, we need to put teaching into our lives. Specifically, teaching that is driven by the Bible, which is the story of God, the ultimate reality which makes sense of our existence as we understand more about who God is, what he's done for us in Christ, and how that shapes who we are and how we are to live. If you want to become like Christ, you have to be immersed in the teachings of God's word. You have to. And so, though we say Sunday mornings are not the point of church, they are still incredibly important. It's incredibly important for you to come here expecting for God through the Spirit to teach you something that you can apply to your life. Now, it's up to you if you do that, if you apply it, but this is important. It's important that you get involved in the missional community and you have discussions with your MC. It's important to be involved in a fight club in places where you can, again, learn more about who God is, what He's done, and how that shapes who you are and how you live. In place of just regular habits that we're engaging in, Right? We need to put practice into our lives. And what I mean by that is there are things we see in Scripture, Jesus doing, Him practicing. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Primarily the spiritual disciplines like, like praying, uh, fasting, uh, spending silence and solitude, serving. These are practices of Jesus that He gives to us to also practice in our daily lives. And when it comes to practicing these things, please hear this. It's not primarily about trying hard. But it is about training hard. Let me explain that, okay? When I was a um, lifeguard in Louisville, Kentucky, I used to give swim lessons to kids. And 
Imagine if you brought your five-year-old or six-year-old to me for swim lessons, and I take them to the deep end, and one by one, I just push them off. No floaties. Just push them off. And you're like, what? And like, you just go running. I'm like, no, 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 back off, back off. Like, they're going to be fine. And all of a sudden, you just see me go, try harder. Come on, man, kick your legs, kid. Like, move your arms, keep trying. What are you going to think? Am I a good instructor or a bad instructor? I'm a bad instructor, right? Because it doesn't matter how hard your kid who can't swim tries, he cannot swim. Why? Because him swimming is not about trying harder, it's about training harder. If your kid wants to learn to swim, he needs to come weekly. On a regular basis, even the times he doesn't really want to because he wants to watch YouTube videos instead or whatever, he needs to come weekly and he needs to, right, slowly but surely learn how to swim. Like maybe grabbing a noodle and kicking his legs or learning to blow bubbles under the water or whatever it is. And then here's the deal. Listen, in the beginning, it's not that your kid can't swim. It's that he just can't swim yet. What he just needs is more training more practice, and eventually he will be able to do what I do. Right, He'll become more like me. The reason I share that is the same way when it comes to our discipleship. Jesus says in here in verse 40 that what? He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but every woman he has fully trained will be like his teacher. It's not, guys, that you can't live a life free from worry and anxiety. It's not that you can't live a life free from depression or bitterness. It's not that you can't do some of these things and be more like Christ. It's just that there's certain areas of your life where you can't be like him yet. Yet. And it's not about trying harder. It's about training harder. It's about taking these practices and placing them into your life. It's about intentionally practicing the way of Jesus. And over time, you will find yourself becoming more and more like him. Then what we see is in the place of relationships is community. And you're like, well, what's the difference between relationships and community? Relationships are basically just those friendships you have because the people that you're friends with are just like you. And you're just, you just have all things in common. So that's why you hang out together. Community is different. Community, the relationships you have in community are there because they're just really kind of the people that they're in your church or they're in your missional community. And whether you're like them or not like them, you're young, they're old, right? You're black, they're white, whatever it may be, right? You're still together. You're unified around Christ. That's community. And what community does for you is this, is is true gospel-centered community, which, by the way, you have to have to change. That's why Jesus, when he called disciples, he called disciples, not a disciple, right? He calls disciples together. What community does for you is it provides exposure and encouragement. Exposure in the fact that it will reveal sinfulness inside of you, which is not always easy, right? But those of you that are married, you know this can be a beautiful thing, right? Like you didn't know you cut people off all the time or that you can be anal or lazy or whatever until you married, and they told you all about it right? It's important for that stuff to be exposed because how can you become like Jesus if you're not even aware of places you're not like him? Community will expose that, but what it also does is if it's gospel-centered community, they won't just expose your sin, they will encourage you in the midst of your sin. They will say, hey, you know what, brother? You know what, sister? You don't have to walk in this way, and I'm patiently going to walk with you through this. Here's the gospel. Here's the God. Here's what you need, right? And I'm here for accountability. I'm here for support. Why? So that you can, through time, become like Jesus. All of this happens in a place of an environment, right, with an awareness and a connection to the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder that we cannot change apart from the Spirit, right? As we're doing our work, sitting under teaching, practicing the ways of Jesus, getting involved in the community, we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit coursing through us or we will not change. 
We have to live with a connection to the Holy Spirit, who Paul says in Romans 8 is the power to help us kill the flesh and become more like Christ. As you see kind of under this, that's all the stuff you can control. Down underneath that, what you need to see over, this, you know, over time through the hard knocks, what I mean by that is you're not going to change overnight. Change takes time. So don't freak out. Don't go and like, okay, pick me. Like I did this stuff for a week and it didn't work. That was lame, right? Like this takes time. You cannot microwave transformation. We need to hear that because we're a culture built on speed. You cannot grow fruit overnight. This takes time, okay? And it happens through the hard knocks of life. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but um, we're going to talk. We're going to probably do like a six-week series sometime at the end of, of spring or the summer on suffering because we really need to grasp what the Bible says about it because we all encounter it. I mean, even this last week, just this last week with people in our church, someone's house burnt to the ground. There was a, a child that experienced abuse in our church. We had another woman who, who had a family member who committed suicide. I mean, suffering, it's not like when are you going to, or if you're going to suffer, it's when are you going to suffer. It's coming. And we need to be sure that we handle it correctly. And what we need to understand is that, yes, we should grieve all that stuff. No, none of that stuff is meant to be in this world. And praise God, one day it will be over with. But in the midst of the trials, James chapter 1 says we can learn to rejoice, even in the midst of it, because we can know God's not going to waste your suffering. And he's actually going to use it to conform you more in the image of Jesus. And we'll talk a whole lot more about that in the time to come. But all that being said, as we kind of begin to land the plane, here again is the question, is transformation possible? Can you change and become more like Jesus? Yes or no? Yes. What if you've been divorced? Can you become like Jesus? Yeah. What if you've been abused? What if you are poor? What if you are considered to be a failure? What if you're introverted? What if you struggle with an addiction right now? Can you become like Jesus? Yes. Not overnight. But yes, you can begin to come like Jesus. As you sit under teaching, as you engage in community, as you practice the disciplines all in the power of the Spirit, you can become like Christ. Now, if that all sounds overwhelming to you, start small. We're, look, look, guys, we are all over the map in here right now in our spiritual journey. Some of you just started. Some of you have been doing it for 40 years. Right? Start small. Don't feel like you have to be where this next guy is or that next girl is. As I said last week, I mean, start with, I would encourage you 10 minutes a day in silence and solitude, just living with an awareness of the presence of God, just stopping and saying, okay, God, you're here, I'm here, what do you have for me? Just spend time with 10 minutes a day. Right? Start small. And then over time, right, begin to add more practices, Begin to take that step. If some of you aren't in a missional community, get involved in a missional community. If you're not in a fight club, take a step into fight club, right? If you haven't been regularly on coming on Sunday mornings, trust the process that God has given us, right? Try to seek to be intentional on coming on Sunday mornings, right? Take baby steps. And over time, as you begin to take more steps, I'm telling you, you will step in the right direction. You will be conformed more in the image of Jesus. So as we end this morning, here's the question, okay? I'm in front of a crowd, but a crowd of individuals. Here's the question just for you. Who or what are you becoming? Get a vision of your life for a second. One second. We're about done. Imagine your life 10 to 15 years down the road. Do you look more like Jesus based off of how you're living right now?
Are you experiencing more joy and more peace and more love and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and all those things that mark the life of Christ? Do you look more like him or do you look like someone or something else? The goal of a disciple is to become like Jesus. It's the goal. Jesus gave us the goal. For some of you this morning, you're not trending in that direction. And I think for some of us, it's because we've tried to bypass goal number one, which is be with Jesus. Some of you, you're here right now. You have religion, but you do not have a relationship. You are not connected to the vine. You are not personally walking with, cherishing, enjoying the Son of God. And the good news is, if that's where you are, God's not saying, shame on you. He's saying, come on. Jesus says, anyone who wants to be my disciple can be with me, can come after me. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can be a disciple of Jesus. And it starts the way it did for me, 20 years old, after growing up in a church my whole life, as finally I came to an end of my rope and I said, God, I cannot do this anymore. I've tried for too long to run my own life, to be the Lord of my own existence, but now I trust you, Jesus. I trust that you've lived this perfect, sinless life on my behalf that obviously you know better than anybody I cannot live. You died a death for me, so now I don't have to carry the shame and guilt, but I can be forgiven and I can be freed. And then you rose from the dead knowing that I don't have to fear anything. That now, I mean, I don't have to carry this burden, right? I can have peace because I know that if I'm with you, you will see me through to the end and all things will be fine because I will be with you. That's what it means to truly follow after Jesus. It's not to be perfect, but it's daily coming to a place where you say, Father, I'm more and more, I want to be with you. I want to choose. Rather than following Jared's way or following my own way, I want to choose. I want to learn what it means to follow after you. And in faith, I want to walk in those steps. If you've not done that, I pray this morning that changes.